0: welcome back to yet another episode of the core consult rx podcast my name is mike corvino with me as always cole swanson and we have like 15 guests with us today whole bunch dr brian gilbert what's going on man
1: what's up guys how you doing pretty good
0: good you have been on the show now what three times
1: this would be the fourth is it
2: fourth oh, wow. oh man do you, I, do you, I think you're officially our most frequent guest then yeah. <laughs>
1: it's yeah. an honor. Mike Herpes, I just keep coming back. So <laughs> that's
0: exactly <laughs> the analogy I was gonna go with too. It's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's cool, man. That's it's awesome that you're taking the time to do this with us again, so I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: So who who you got with you?
1: So I've got my goon squad here with me. I've got Jake Reeder, who is one of our so. For those who forgot, I'm at uh, Wesley Medical Center in Wichita, Kansas, doing emergency medicine and critical care. And I have two of my critical care pharmacy uh, colleagues with me today. I have Jake Reeder, uh, who does uh, part of our evening uh, ICU uh, work. And then I have Dave Moran, who is doing our third shift overnight critical care uh, ICU work. Dave's been in it 100 years, uh, he was there, <laughs> <Not that many>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Jake is actually, uh, this is his first year with us, um, Dave's been with us 15 years, 20, 20 years, 20, yep. so, close to 100, <laughs>
0: basically 100, yeah, <laughs>
1: <So> basically, <laughs> round up, You know.
0: that's awesome, well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to come on here and chit chat with us a little bit,
2: and we know you've got more important things to do with people coding and drawing knives and all that good stuff, so, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. some, some people say it's more important other people think this podcast is the most important i've heard it
1: both ways i've heard it both ways
0: <laughs> um hey, brian man can we uh talk to you by the last time you were on here apparently you um motivated someone to based on your teaching uh methodology can i can we talk about that now that i'm asking you live
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like insert plug here uh, <laughs> card one no so apparently you know we're, we're just fresh out of uh, residency season um we've just finished up the match process and um you know during the interview season and and uh, at our institution someone said hey you know i i had no idea who you guys were but uh i was able to listen to you on uh core console rx uh podcast and so you know, that's, that just sort of speaks to the, the reach that you guys have across the country. So I believe our guys from like South Dakota or something. So you guys are reaching all the way out there in uh, awesome. and, and Kansas. So you guys are killing it.
2: There's only like 10 people in South Dakota. So mm-hmm. wow. That's like
1: 10%. And we tried to recruit eight of them. And we
2: like, <laughs> <one."> <laughs> yeah. They do it right over there,
0: man. That's awesome. No, I, 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 so I would have asked you about that earlier, but no, I was, I was so shocked that you told me that story. So, you know, I'm definitely glad because I think a lot of people didn't really see what we were hoping to accomplish with this podcast. So I'm glad that I'm getting like minor case studies now that I can kind of use to be like, I told you, I told you.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, again, I think it just speaks to the work you guys are doing and the the influence that, uh, you know, social media has in, in today's market. And um, you know ways that we can all connect and do these type of foa med type deals. You know, so um, I think that it's just going to continually like grow, and then you know you guys are just going to expand even larger. So, I, you know, this won't be the only story you get.
0: I hope we'll see. But, uh, so the other part of this kind of, uh, saga, if you will, that I'm pretty excited about is, you know, one of the things that I I've noticed since the time I've known Brian is that how many times like a week he gets published. (laughs) I mean, it was just crazy. I kept noticing him, his papers coming out like every couple of days. I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, and so I'm not a um, I, I I feel like I can do okay at writing, but it's not something that I technically love to do. And so I haven't really put many of my, um, much of my focus into that aspect of like trying to actually get published and things like that. And, you know, while I am so pro this new movement of, you know, social media and medium, I have not lost respect obviously for the old school, um, evidence-based medicine and literature and, and all that. And so I reached out to him and, uh, asked if there's any way I could maybe help out a little bit with a, um, a paper. And, uh, so the bigger thing we're going to talk about today is said paper that he was in his, uh, in his colleagues were super kind enough to let me, uh, join in on. And, um, you know, so we got, it got published and, uh, in the American journal of emergency medicine, which, um, I'm told is, uh, fairly large <laughs> <laughs>
2: maybe yeah,
0: a of
1: nope. of it. so it's a it's a it's in the grand scheme of things um you know you depending on how you you want to judge it you know you can look at impact factor or just even tier based but you know it's not it's no slouch it's in the the, the middle of the tier and uh does get a lot of play and you have a lot of uh you know, not only, you know, farmers take taking a peek, but you have a lot of nurses, you have a lot of physicians. And so you get reach a wide audience. So no, I mean, I mean, we're so happy to have you, you know, on the paper and your perspective and uh, don't sell yourself short. You know, you did a lot of work on that. <laughs> I
0: don't know yeah. about all that, but <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I think that um, when, when
3: you look at impact factor, I kind of look at journals and look at them as, you know, like, like a bar, you know, the, the house specials, the, the, Medium shelf, top shelf. So you know you're always shooting for top shelf, and and when you get kind of a top shelf, I think AJM, AJEM for emergency medicines pretty well moderate to top shelf. So yeah, so it's, I'd say it's, so. Really kudos for all the authors here, and you know just to, just to give Brian a little bit of a bigger head. But uh, <laughs> you know, for for 20 years, you know, I've I've 20 plus years I've been doing pharmacy and have always been interested in. Publishing, etc., and you just you just don't get that. It, it's difficult to do it, and then you get somebody who's as excited and is a, a thoroughbred like Brian. Um, he he makes us all better, so I think that that really helps our profession. So when it's when get Brian, a, and pay him, <laughs> <he's
2: gonna> be- <laughs> get a get a nice fiber for that.
3: I am old enough to, to be his dad, by the way.
1: But oh wow. <laughs>
2: I thought you guys looked similar. <laughs> it's the beard.
1: Uh, no, I mean, so Dave brings a good point in and I think we had early on, we had these discussions too, is that when you are going to publish these papers like this, it's don't get discouraged, especially anyone listening on the podcast or uh, going to watch the video later is that, um, uh, you're going to go through three or four rejections if you're doing it right. Uh, if you're not getting rejected, it means you're probably not shooting high enough. Um, and then once you start to see some of those <laughs> rejections, it's, uh, difficult to swallow, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you have to always consider, you know, I'm writing this paper and it's pro- it's going to impact not only the patients that I'm taking care of within the walls I work at, but now I'm, I'm reaching a, a, a larger mass of uh, providers that, um, you know, if this affects patient care in a positive way, then, um, you know, that's something that you can feel good about and, uh, you know, hang your head high about, you know, so that's something to consider is, don't get discouraged. It is difficult. Um, the other thing is that a lot of folks say I'm not really good at writing. So I always ask, well, how much are you writing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't write that much. I'm not good at it. You know, so it's vice versa. It's also a skill Um, you know, I'm still, I still learn on different, uh, things when I'm, when I'm trying to write. And so, I mean, we could have a whole nother hour discussion on that if we wanted to, but, um, Maybe we will, maybe for five, we'll go for
0: five. (laughs) I was just thinking we we should set something up and have like a, how to, you know, where we go through, like if for people who are interested in trying to get more things published and we could, you know, gear it towards residents and, um, you know, practicing
1: knows how to do it. I'd be glad to listen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think, um, the other part of that too is, you know, one of the reasons why I like the social media things. I mean, we met through Instagram and, uh, you know, the, I have so many students that are being taught, like the, the old school, like you, if you want to network with actual professionals, you need to go to a conference. Well, the, the, because the reach of social media is so huge now that if you're using it responsibly, using it professionally, you can meet people who are um, very good at what they do and doing big things in the in the area. And then be able to jump on board with certain you know, opportunities that, you know, that they are doing. And, um, you know, I would have never gotten that opportunity if I had been waiting to go to some obscure conference because I'm not going to any critical care conferences necessarily. And, uh, you, you know, so it, it's it's another kind of piece of this whole idea that I I really think is going to start taking off like crazy over the next couple of years that I think not enough students at this point are realizing the impact and the reach you can have using social media to network in a medical professional you know
2: way i like i like podcast networking because you can wear t-shirts and backwards hats and uh, Uh, you don't have to put on a tie and a suit that's true
3: i think social media also i think it breeds collaboration because you know we would have never been able to you know you're in south carolina and you know you can pull people in from you know that are subject matter experts outside of your locale getting you know a view from afar so i think that's that, that's great what you guys do and you know we appreciate and I think collaboration has improved over the old days where you know you're like snail mailing or emailing back and forth between people. Now you can do real time, you can Facetime, you can do whatever and say, hey, is this total crap or do you think this is you know is, is this. Uh,
1: Big for the math. Is, is this okay for the masses? So yeah. the cool thing is that like you'll get your little Instagram posse or Twitter posse that you follow, and then you do go to the conferences and you start fanboying out. You're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like that's so and so from X Y Z. That's awesome. This Corvino I never came in yet last night. Who's like, dude, this guy's awesome. He's put together good good content. And he teaches here and does all this, and so. No I, it's like I you started I,
3: fin- I think I called you a baller so. yeah
0: <laughs> that's that's actually the only nickname that I want <laughs> so
2: I
1: <laughs> Mike the baller that was your that was your UFC name right
0: yeah, oh totally
1: <laughs> corvino the baller oh, oh man
0: I, <laughs> instantly lose all my followers <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's um I guess let's just jump into it man you know let you guys kind of lead the way but let's let's talk about this paper
1: Right. So, you know, one of the hot topics in critical care right now is um, factor 10A inhibitor associated major bleeds and how do we reverse that for patients? Um, you know, since, you know, 2000, I guess 2010, 2011, when Pradaxa first came on market um, as, as sort of the alternative to warfarin, um, that sort of led the way of. Uh, looking into new oral anticoagulants, and ever since, I feel like we've probably had five or six new ones. I mean, you guys probably can tell us more about the, the other obscure ones on the market, but you know when i was in school the big ones were a pixaban, river Roxavan, and then a adoxaban and i'm sure there's probably others after that I'm, i know i'm missing but um and, and then you know we we kind of sort of talked about it a little bit as the benefits that it has over warfarin in the amcare setting you know it's it's uh, it's tremendous and so uh all for having patients get the best therapy and um that's appropriate for them and um, do it in the most cost effective way. But, you know, one of the things that poses an issue on the inpatient or critical care side is when these patients do come in with major bleeds. Uh, there's a lot of things to, to consider and, um, a lot of controversy out right now as to how to actually do that effectively, safely, uh, in the most cost effective way. Um, so that was the gist of the paper is that, um, uh, you know, our standard of care for the past, I guess, five years since, uh, m- these agents came out was, uh, the utilization of factor products, uh, specifically, uh, four factor prothrombin complex concentrate or PCC, um, brand name in the U S is, uh, K-Sintra, uh, versus a newly approved FDA, uh, FDA approved agent indexin and alpha. Uh, and so, um, Honestly, the real reason we're having this discussion and we talk about cost is that, um, you know, your your average dose for PCC to reverse factor eight inhibitors is anywhere from $5,000 to maybe $10,000. Whereas this new agent uh, that came out um, costs roughly twenty five dollars to $50,000. And so had that agent cost $10,000, we probably wouldn't be having this podcast. We wouldn't have had yeah. the for pay- and so it's it's one of those. Um, I, I sort of believe that we set the paper up, and I don't sort of believe. I know we did. We set it up as a sort of pro con debate and a things to consider whenever um, your you're thinking whether or not you should add it to to formulary or not. So. and yeah, I think just talking about the continuum
3: of reversal. You know, when we had warfarin, you know, we're very comfortable with vitamin K, with fresh frozen plasma, four factor PCC. So, you know, whenever you have a novel agent such as as andexanet coming onto the on on board, you really have to relook. Yeah, you have to look back. Hey, is this better than what we've been doing? Um, You know, what are the potential pitfalls, the perils of you know potential new therapy versus what we've been you know using? You know, we've used factor seven um back uh you know in, in the uh, for for trauma i've done trauma for 20 plus years and i think just the um number of people now i the, the covered lives on a um on a novel oral anticoagulant is just is just skyrocketing um you know tons of people with afib out there so i think that there's this huge population it's not a problem going away so then you have to take into account spontaneous Um, head bleeds or spontaneous major bleeds versus, um, traumatic. Um, these folks, you know, drive cars, um, they fall. Um, so this is not a small, it's not a small problem. And, you know, at an agent that could potentially, you know, bankrupt your pharmacy at at 25 to 30,000, are we doing the right thing are four factor PCCs or other modalities. So so you have to look Mm -hmm. at the whole pharmacoeconomic, um, component.
1: I think too that um, when you look at this stuff too, when you look at the uh, the original data with at alpha, the the trials themselves weren't slam dunks. They originally took it to the FDA in 2016 and said, "Here's our data. Here's here it is in healthy volunteers. Let's go ahead and approve our you know approve this drug." And they didn't. They actually sent it back and said, "Well, no, no, Hoss, you ain't going to do that. We're going to have you." Uh, evaluated in sick patients. Um, And so they did. And then, uh, you know, when they were doing this large trial in sick patients, we got an interim analysis and um, the FDA finally did approve it. Um, But the data was very controversial. And so I think that's what the paper tried to to highlight was, in a very non-biased way, um, the pros and cons to doing that. So I wanted to pick your brain and just essentially say, or, or what, what you guys would consider some of the the pros to having factor 10A inhibitors uh, utilization in the AM care setting?
0: So, you know, I know for me, and now I'm pretty, I guess, just based on the, the literature, um, I'm more in favor of a and rivaroxaban. Um, so, you know, Pradaxa, I'm Nah, whatever. And then especially Adoxaban, uh, the new one, Cerveza, that one is, you know, ridiculous. So um, they've added it into like when they include the the, the doax, they've included the Adoxaban in there. But it, because of the weird like renal dosing, I, so if, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. But basically, if your renal function is too high, so your kidneys work too well, you can't take it either. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's, uh, you know, from, from an Amkish standpoint, you know, I think that, you know, in a lot of the studies, but like, so for AFib, for instance, when we look at things like the, Re, the Rely, um, the Rocket AF, the Aristotle, um, we see that it seems to have um, as good, if not better, in like the case of a Apixaban, better um, outcomes than Warfarin, um, and in a lot of cases, less likely chance of bleeding. Um, and so we've kind of seen a lot of that data starting to come out and uh, there's been like the, um, the Einstein trials and there's a whole bunch of different data that's coming out and looking at whether or not adding aspirin in certain cases um, you know there's been all, all kinds of different studies that have come out but I think the data is pretty clear from a treatment standpoint the, the DOACs seem to be um, better now
2: Right. And well, just from a logistical standpoint too, it depends on the situation, but generally the appeal is easier dosing. You're not having a whole bunch of wonky warfarin doses, take two today, you know, one tomorrow, have to switch around monitoring every month. And then if it's off, you have to follow up in five days, all that stuff. So more convenience So patients want it. If cost isn't, you know, if cost is not an issue, which it frequently is. Um, But yeah, the big concern that we would still hear from, from uh, physicians is yeah, no reversal, and what, you know, what do you do if there's a major bleed? And I actually had a patient last month who was uh, basically just a huge advocate of telling everybody to stay away from Zarelto, um, because she had, her husband was on it and he had, um, uh, brain bleed and, and died. And so, you know, um, she, she's, you know, done research and seeing that that kind of thing happens. So, yeah. That's so, unfortunate.
1: so you kind of said it too, right? So easier dosing regimens, not having to be monitored, um, and so the, the two kind of, con, or two, uh, major arguments for, for the amp care that I always get is one, the bleed rates from those trials and then two the non-monitoring and easier dosing. Um, and so as the inpatient people, we always counter up, well, that was spontaneous bleeds, right? So for patient, like Dave was saying, when you get that trauma and you get that patient that fell off the ladder or they fell and hit their head, that's always an issue. And then two monitoring wise is like probably one of the bigger areas of research with factor 10a inhibitor associated bleeds right now because uh, quite frankly, no one knows what we're doing with that. like how to monitor like who should get reversed, who shouldn't get reversed based off of 10a levels or should it be based off of viscoelastographies. So you know, monitoring and just identifying patients that should that would benefit or should be reversed is always a huge. Issue. Um, you know, a lot of folks say, well, the half-life of those drugs are really short. You can just tell when the last time that they come in or when's the last time they took the dose, which on paper and on the test for all you students is the right answer. Yeah. However, when they come into your uh, ED or they're going in, you know, there are trauma, we never know that. No patients never know. They take their morning pills, you don't know if that's that. And so you're stuck and you're you're left wondering do I give this patient a reversal agent? They're already on the agent because they're at a prothrombotic state and what I don't wanna do is reverse this or give them something to make them clot. And then now I'm gonna cause a stroke or I'm gonna cause a PE or a VTE. So just initially like monitoring, uh, big issue and an identification of reversal versus non reversal. Um, so I always like to, to ask the, the Amcare folks there, um, positives. Cause I always flip it and I'm not and trying to shoot a, us
2: down. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, for like, for every good reason you guys say, I can always flip it on the back end. So I think also,
3: you know, when we, you know, Warfarin predictable, you know, we would reverse Warfarin. We had a number, we had an INR, um, working with surge trauma surgeons, neurosurgeons, you know, it's, can I go to the OR? Um, just with the the 10a inhibitors you just don't have that value so you really need to know that the therapy you're giving them is you know as effective as it can be because you really don't have a surrogate to say okay we don't have an INR that we can follow
1: and and that leads to to the next point is that's sort of been a focus of our group here is once we've uh once we've we those patients, like he's saying, we have no way identifying if it worked or not, whether or not, you know, if they, if you have like active visible bleed on imaging that you can see, that's great. Um, but after that, you've just given, let's say you do have indexed in it on formulary. Well, you just gave that patient the cost of Kia, like a brand new Kia car, and you have no idea if it worked or not, which is like, like a huge disadvantage of that medication other than like there's set criteria of and it's pretty subjective in in some areas of okay did this work or th- did this not work but um you know like dave alluded to when we had warfarin we just we had INR it was a surrogate we felt good about it whereas this medication uh, or these these medications with the factor 10a inhibitors you know we have no way of knowing and and for me personally like wanting to be in control of a lot of things within the the patients stay in their, uh, inpatient admission, not having like a firm grip of whether or not the medication I just gave worked or not does not make me feel good. So <laughs> especially when it costs as much as it does, because I usually get a call from, you know, a, a boss saying, okay, <laughs> you just spent X amount of money. Like, <laughs> was it worth it? So
0: that's, that's interesting to get that kind of take on too, because I, I feel like you know like you said like in an am care setting it's we always start talking about like yeah warfronts, freaking ridiculous you gotta have you, gotta, you know you get inr it's it's such a pain in the butt until like i have to have them come back and get their level levels checked like oh, i hate inr <laughs> <laughs> and so for us it's like yeah this is awesome i don't have to check any labs yeah. sweet go home I <laughs> I think I was
1: these boys the other day it was like give me a give me a warfarin bleed and i like <laughs> that's what i want <laughs>
0: so interesting yeah that's pretty funny yeah so what um you know what what are your thoughts then Uh, and if you were going to transition into work more outpatient type stuff would you would you want to based on like an overall population you know benefit or lack thereof would you want to give patients the one of the doax as opposed to warfarin when we've seen a reduction in events in some of these studies
1: so i think that just like with um you know, I relate it always, sort of back into inpatient drugs. I know, but like with TPA and stroke, there's been a a slight indication creep with uh, the the DOAX and the factor ten A inhibitors specifically that I've started to see. Um, specifically, we've seen uh, more and more um, failure rates. With you know, I think that there's a, um, a big debate right now with factor ten A inhibitors in obese patients, like proper dosing. Um, there's been some debate with uh, factor five light disease, whether or not the patients would benefit from their oncological. I know that there's been, you know a, a little bit of data out there with that. Um, and so I think that's I think we have to just be careful. Just because it's more convenient doesn't mean that Warfarin's still the evil empire drug, you know what I mean? So, so, so that's I guess, just go ahead.
2: Well, so I guess you're just evaluating multiple factors like bleed risk generally. Um, does this patient really like to ride dirt bikes on the weekends or not? Uh, you know, that sort of thing.
1: The other question is too, is like, would this patient benefit, you know, just knowing that that, that your patient, like you said, you know, can we get away with just, you know, full dose aspirin or what type of, uh, uh, thrombotic profile am I working with here? Um, so I think that's probably some of the questions I have, but that's also limited limited evaluation of some of the care literature out there. I don't know if you boys have any other thoughts on it. I
3: I have kind of a personal, uh, my parents both, uh, my my father took warfarin uh, prior to uh, him passing. And I can say now that my mom has non-valvular AFib, she's on Xarelto. And that was one of the decisions, you know, I kind of made just seeing dad, you know, cycle between high INRs, low INRs you know, admissions for bleeds or for progression of DBT, you know, my decision to have a place in place an IVC with mom, it's a little different. I feel, little, and I think the other thing is access to healthcare. Um, she's from a very rural area, rural area. And so to get to, a, you know, to have her, you know, INRs done are, are physically difficult. So, you know, I just tell her, I'm like, just don't miss a dose. Because you know I've I've imparted upon her that hey um, this this is one that you know even in the studies you are just a little bit outside of that um, dosing interval there were there were uh, treatment failures and so I think from a personal standpoint you know having seen and struggled with managing my dad from three hours away in basically where buffaloes and indians are um, having to manage him. Um, and now having to manage my mom from afar, it's a lot easier to do a 10 a. So I, I just, but I want to, if it is my mom that comes in with a head bleed, what would I want? What would I want for her reversal? So I feel very comfortable with 10 a inhibitors, but I also want to know that, you know, there's and people at church, you know, ask you, there's a lady in my choir that says, Hey, I'm on a Pixabay and they're telling me there's this new reversal agent. So should I switch from Zarelto to a Pixaban? So you know you get those questions in the community, and I think you you know, we as pharmacists have to be informed that we're doing the right thing um, in telling people eh, there's not really a magic key because there is some misinformation out there that, and in fact this lady um, was told she needed to switch from Zarelto to a Pixaban because there was a specific antidote. And I was like, she was more comfortable on Xarelto. And, um, you know, I think she went back to her doctor and says, I talked to my pharmacist and he said, so I think you you have to take into account those personal stories. And just from your Amcare perspective is, is this something that a patient can manage the monitoring of warfarin? Um, 10-A's just give us a little bit more flexibility in um, you know, dosing and managing patients that may be difficult within the
1: healthcare system. Right. To, to flip it on the other side, though, too one of the uh, one of the things I actually just did a talk on this at our uh, state ASHP meeting, and um, you know, one of the things that needs to be considered when you're talking about all of this in general is if you're not going to use the reversal agent, andexan in and alpha you're going against FDA approved medication, the only FDA approved. And so ethically, is that appropriate? And legality too, you have to think about, you know, I'm going against something too. The other big thing out there is that, you know, dosing of PCC is very much in question as well when it comes to this stuff. The original PCC uh, data did not have um, dose finding studies that they had to report to the FDA. And so they just sort of, slapped on this arbitrary number um, with some of their dosing. And so we've started to see that guideline recommended dosing strategies for PCC could actually maybe even be lower. So now you're talking about going against the FDA on the uh, product and you're going against the guideline with lower dosing strategies. So legally, like if you're an attorney, you're probably licking your lips. You're like, all right, bring this dude on. I've got him. But, You know, you have to to really evaluate the literature and be sound with your uh, decision with that. And so it's just, uh, it's, they bring up a, you know, it's not a clear cut answer. And so that's why I like these sort of forums to debate it. And I think if you get four different pharmacists in in five, I want to go on record and say Jake's a great pharmacist. He's he's actually taking care of patients right now. So if if our bosses see this, just know that Jake's taking care of everybody.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: but it's like it's a, it's a good to have these type of discussions and you know this won't be the only uh, medication that comes out or uh, clinical dilemma that comes that uh, we can have these type of discussions. I think it it, it fosters growth and it fosters honestly innovative research. Um, people like us sitting in a room and people listening to this podcast like coming up with good questions to ask on on research so
2: absolutely
0: so how is when you're dealing with uh, some of the MDs that you guys work with um, how what's their take on it? Are they do they have I would assume they would have the same concerns or are there any of that are just kind of bought into because like on our end it's weird because it's it's almost like and I've had, you know, I'm not mentioning names or anybody like that, but it's like, you know, you get this thing of like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, there's a new factor 10, you know, reversal agent now. So <laughs> no further research needed. And, <laughs> you know, it, they just have this idea of like, okay, well, that's cool. That's approved now. So done. So getting the other perspectives, it's actually been really cool for me too. And yeah. and because I'm, to be, I'm totally honest, I haven't even looked at it until I started like looking at the paper. Um, you know, I haven't really even looked at it from that perspective. I've always looked at it from the I guess naive point of all oh, these patients are all good to go and healthy right now because they're you know not in a situation where they need a trauma, <laughs> a trauma surgeon or anything. Um, but what's the general I guess outlook from the physicians you've been working with?
1: Yeah, so that's that's the, ultimately that is one of the, the biggest questions, and I think that um, it not to quote like Hillary, but it takes a village in this situation. Like you have to have. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag twenty twenty. Oh geez. <laughs> it takes the, It literally takes like a, you know a group of you coming to a collective decision, and we actually had some um, debates within our own department on ter- on management of this too, uh, with respect to monitoring post uh, administration um, dosing strategies, um, and then even just whether or not we should be adding this or not. And so I think that um, if you are up to date and do a thorough literature search and really truly are unbiased in the situation. You know, I, I think costs should probably be on the lower end when it comes to making a decision for what's right for the patient. I think though, that if you have two uh, medications that are equally efficacious, that um, you really are um, doing the right thing for the patient by advocating for something that may be, um, as effective, uh, uh, if not even more effective and and cost effective in in that situation. But honestly, you know, it it really takes a stewardship approach um, to evaluating this type of stuff and and whether or not the patient um, should be getting it. And I think it also goes back to, are you a good sound uh, evaluator of literature, um, because if you can poke holes in some of the studies, like relevant holes, not just, you know, being nitpicky and saying there should have been a comma here or something stupid like that, but like literally saying like, look at the exclusion criteria for these patients, look at X, Y, Z, look at the statistical analysis that they did. Um, you know, I think that, um, uh, and, and quantity too, like look at the number of patients. Right. So I think that if you are very unbiased that a lot of times, uh, the data will, Uh, represent itself well enough that you can come to a good clinical decision, but, um, it really shouldn't be a sort of dictatorship from physicians. And we have, we're lucky enough. We don't have that here. Um, we're not, we are a, uh, community hospital that does do research. We are considered a a teaching hospital, um, but we're not like considered your large academic medical facility that may actually want to bring in that drug and try to do, um, you know, more research with it. There's our star pharmacist. <laughs> um, I'm taking his phone by the way, <laughs> um, physician relations with, uh, you know, not adding Indexa. have, what type of questions they may have asked, or if you have any thoughts on that in terms of how you deal, deal with physicians and sort of evaluation of it. Well, I have a question for you guys
4: since you're on the Amcare side of this. Um, do you feel like you maybe have pressure from providers or maybe not even pressure, but it just comes up more now that, you know, there is a reversal agent, that kind of thing. Like, and they'll just decide to do that instead of warfarin yeah. just because there is an FDA approved, you know, and they just think that, you know, we can reverse
2: Right, they definitely feel more comfortable with it. Plus, guidelines are changing too that are even for various things that are either, even recommending No X, whatever, over warfarin. Um, oh. So, you know, just another reason for them to be pushing it and overall just feel more comfortable with it.
0: And, and, and we had touched on this earlier actually, but like – and I, I repeat it again because, I, I mean, I, I'm guilty of kind of – not thinking of it from both sides of the equation and thinking at it only from a AMCAM perspective where I'm like, Oh, well, I mean, you know, I'm looking at it. it's like the Aristotle and rely and rocket AF and some of these trials I'm getting lower, you know, uh, superior results with a pixaband for instance, and then, you know, less likely chances of bleed. So from my perspective, um, sure. you know, I'm, I'm decreasing the chances of them having these adverse effects. I'm not necessarily defaulting to the thought process of, Uh, you know this person gets in a car accident now they need a trauma surgeon in their life Um, and so i mean it's 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 been really good i was just telling brian this it's been really good to actually have like this perspective because i i I just don't naturally go to that that narrative so it's it's been good
1: well the next fifty thousand dollar drug there is that affects both of us AmCare and inpatient we'll have another discussion (laughs) there you go
0: (laughs) heck yeah (laughs) So, um, so where, where are your thoughts at now? Like, what's the future, um, for this? Like how, what's your next steps is kind of, you know, changing your, you know, like your methods or like figuring out exactly what you're going to stick with. I mean, what are you looking forward forward to coming out as far as ongoing research, all that jazz?
1: Sure. So one of the areas that I'm like really focused in on is, uh, you know, this, this reversal for these things and achieving hemostatic efficacy was not 100% in either trial. So my area is gonna be really focusing in on the patients that did not achieve or did not get reversed uh, or achieve um, efficacy and try to identify different factors and maybe do like a multi-variable uh, you know multivariable logistic regression to try to see risk factors for those you know um, patients and, and look at, hey, they, they didn't do well because of X, Y, Z. Um, I have a theory that it's probably due to, and you guys can probably answer this too because you're also doing it in the AmCare setting. Is that a lot of these patients are on concomitant antiplatelet medications, and so I think a lot of these failures are not necessarily failures from the factor 10a inhibitor as much as it is probably a antiplatelet induced bleed, uh, which we don't do a great job of identifying now. Currently, we have certain assays and we have certain um, viscoelastographies that we can run to try to. Um, evaluate the patient's clotting cascade, but that's something that I'm looking at. I'm also going to try to, uh, you know, look at, uh, you know, were these were these patients dosed appropriately? I know that there's been a couple smaller retrospective studies that have looked at, hey, I really didn't have to dose adjust in these patients that have a creatinine clearance of like 30 or, you know, traditionally in Aristotle and uh, Rocket AF, these patients did not, uh, that were in uh, receiving hematopociitis hemodialysis didn't actually receive the drug. And now all of a sudden we're starting to see that these patients are getting the drug. And so, you know, those are, those are risk factors again, where I started to talk about like indication creep a little bit, um, where, you know, just because they didn't bleed um, and you didn't have a comparator group and all these X, Y, Z of, we just are looking for reasons to give the drug. Um, that's probably not the best approach either. Um, just because it's a little bit simpler, but, um, those are some of my areas. I don't know if you guys have anything that you're considering. No, you hit on the main ones that I was looking at, which was, you know,
4: concomitant antiplatelets, and then really trying to figure out if PCC is the best agent for this, the dosing strategy, just because there's there's so much heterogeneity in all the studies that look at it. And I mean, there's even, you have activated, um, you have FIBA and k and some other... Um, Claudine, concentrated factors too that are looking at this and so we still don't know the optimal regimen for that so i think yeah it's just more time
1: we're just not paying 50 grand for (laughs) no 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 uh we should probably say we don't uh represent the views of wesley medical center as a whole or (laughs) okay um for all the lawyers that are listening to this uh but yeah he's right too right so there's you know, even the heterogeneity between formulations, right? So even within the U.S., uh, you have activated PCC, four-factor PCC with FIBA versus non-activated. And then even in Europe, they've got different formulations. So there's a lot of different things to consider even on that realm. I think my
3: uh, future is, having worked with surgeons my entire adult life and uh, pharmacy career, is they like a number. I mean, they they want that they want that magic number of, okay, we got an INR of five, we reverse. Now it's 1.5, I can go to the OR. So, you know, I also, in my spare time, I teach nurse anesthesia and, you know, in the nurse, in, in the surgery community, there's a lot of, you know, how long do we hold this? You know, do we bridge, do we not bridge? And I think that there's just there's that surrogate marker. There's that need for a surrogate marker that they feel comfortable with because they've always had that, you know, ortho, my God, you got to have an INR of 1.2. If it's not 1.2, they'll continue to give, you know, vitamin K historically for warfarin. They wanted, you know, and sometimes you can't get a 1.2, but, you know, is, is, you know, are are we looking at 10A levels? Um, So I think from my perspective, a surrogate, for was our reversal efficacious and then if not where are we at are we partially reversed or are we just totally off and it's plately cascaded
1: so and he brings up a good number or a good you know sort of thought too is that even before you even get there you have to identify those those numbers right so that's a whole nother study there's like 17 studies we just quoted that like if we Dear NIH, if you're listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we would love this, uh, just uh, use this as our grant writing application. But
3: <laughs> social media for grant writing, yeah, there social
1: writing. So I don't have to fill out all the paperwork. But no, to anyone who listens to this podcast, like that's a great. And then also, too, I think that it would be interesting to do. Ultimately, it would be like a transition to care project with like they had a bleed now they go back into the community did they bleed again did they not bleed again did we switch agents did we not switch agents did we dose adjust the agent they were you know that's very vince vaughn but like that's (laughs) but those are the type of things to to consider and it's like a a huge area um and it also uh highlights that once you once a drug is approved that's not the end game right Mm -hmm. hashtag avengers like that's (laughs) like that's that's not the end game That's like that's a uh, another whole nother, uh, you know, set of projects to do. And, um, you know, as pharmacists, I think that's, you know, part of doing our due diligence for our patients is to optimize that. Even if it's something good, even if we end up saying like, yeah, we're, we're doing pretty well at this. It's like, well, how could we do better?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that. And you know, I, you, uh, those are all awesome points. And I, and I like that you know, you, you also, Talked about earlier about uh, the need for um, the ability to be able to actually interpret literature and not just taking things for, like, oh, there's a new study, awesome, you know, that uh, the, the agents FDA approved, it's obviously good. Um, without actually being able to interpret the literature for yourself and looking through and and uh, even something simple like looking at like relative risk reduction versus absolute risk reduction you know simple things like that where the data gets presented in a way that's a little misleading um, I think is super important because I, I know I I'm super guilty of this I used to be in in uh, like pharmacy school like yeah so I'm not doing statistics or literature reviews when I get out
1: <laughs> so well, the, the- so the worst thing too, and I tell my students and I tell my residents is it's called journal club, not abstract club. So yeah. like sure that, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, performing the appropriate statistical analysis, everything X, Y, Z, but, um, you know, that's a skill set and that's a, the same thing with writing. Like you're not going to get good, uh, at, at, at interpreting literature just by reading one study. Like you're gonna have to do it multiple times and probably get multiple, pers- multiple perspectives because you could have one. Like you two could probably read one aim care study and be like, okay, this is how this was my interpretation of this, and then you could have a totally different interpretation. So, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: for sure. Um, so, you know, kind of like you just wrapping it up. What's 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 this, your summary for this whole situation?
1: No, well, oh, no, you no. can. I think from each of us. Oh. I think the, the summary
3: is that, you know, we we know a lot, but we have a lot more to learn. Um, so, you know, once again, be, a, be an informed consumer. Um, don't just take it by the FDA saying this is the best thing since sliced bread. You have to evaluate what we have because then don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we've been doing great things with four factor PCC, vitamin K. All of the modalities we've been previously, you know, where does this fit in your arsenal? So I think that that's that's kind of my take takeaway is, you, you know, maybe when do you pull the trigger? When do you not? Um, so that's that's kind of my takeaway is 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 don't throw away all this you know huge amount we've been do, you know we've been doing this even before IndexNet came out. We've been trialing things for reversal because when they first came out that was one of the things was the promise was these are great no monitoring the downside the the that we had no monitoring capabilities so that that i think is another take home is we need that number
1: um i'd also like to throw in that wesley medical center and HCA healthcare does not advocate throwing babies out of bathwater. water so. <laughs> For that, all the way out there.
0: That's good cuz I was actually really concerned at yells method. <laughs>
1: what are you guys doing over there? It's like a spaghetti method if it sticks.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: Um I know
4: I missed a significant portion of what you guys <laughs> talked about. So, uh as as far as a summary too, I think maybe keeping an open mind too when reversing this just because we don't have all the answers and you you can't get too stuck on one method because there's still so much room for interpretation. Um, I think you could ask several different pharmacists and how they practice, you know, how they would manage or how they would help recommend a certain, certain dosing strategy or even an agent. And you might get four different answers from four different pharmacists. So I think it's, you still have to keep an open mind and we don't have all the answers we need yet. Um, So just
1: more to come. Yeah, that's my take home is that this is a wait and see approach that I think is probably um, okay and warranted, and um, you know there's there's all these different questions, you know, one we didn't even bring up, and that's actually getting posed out in a lot of the listservs right now is, hey, I, I the patient came from a facility. They got PCC here. Now they're at my facility that has indexing and an alpha. Now what do I do? Or vice versa? Like those are, these are all things to consider and to ask. Um, and I think that the summary is that we don't know, we do, we know, we know some stuff and we feel fairly confident and, um, I guess the other thing we forgot to mention is there is a registered RCT that's going to happen with Andex-Net alpha, andexanet versus standard of care, which for the most part, if it's not PCC, most folks will say, okay, that, that was a cop out. Um, and so, you know, at this point, a wait and see attitude is probably the most appropriate. Um, and like I said, if this medication costs Eight grand. We we're not even having a discussion. We don't get a publication. So, shouts <laughs> <laughs> out to AJEM for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, as, I, we... I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention that originally when all of us here like wrote it, it was five thousand words. That they came back and said, "Yeah, could you do it for less than 800 So I just want to say, yeah, there's a lot of work in that. There were so Jeez. many explicitives that I said. Uh, <laughs> I texted him initially, like, "Are you kidding me?"
0: <laughs> I can't. Even, I can't even text someone an eight hundred word. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs>
2: awesome. Yeah, and as if if we haven't uh, plugged it enough, the title is "Throwing It In Reverse: An Update on Reversal of Oral Factor Ten A Inhibitors." Everyone you heard here, excluding me, is an author, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a good read with a good perspective.
1: I. I do want to say that the title was a little bit uh, from the YouTube video, back it up Terry, the fireworks. <laughs> <kid>. <laughs> As like kind of a joke, like they're not going to let this be the title.
0: <laughs> and sure the world.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they all got a good chuckle and put it right in their right in their journal.
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you guys can go read it, tweet it, facebook it, They do, like, that is something to consider is that journals do look at metrics like that uh, with social media. It just kind of, again, alludes to the power that social media has. I don't really know if that impacts, like, whether or not they'll accept you for next time, but can't hurt, right? So.
0: that's true and wouldn't be crazy if we could get like this gigantic like social like push on this one article they're like what the heck happened here yeah "Yeah, that's right that's what we that's what we play with
1: we say hey we have the rest of the words if you want us to put a full (laughs) paper
0: hey by the way we still have those other uh four thousand two (laughs) hundred Uh, Uh, yeah for sure so i will put the i'll link the article in the show notes so that everyone can you know go to it and then um i i've already ran it on instagram and facebook and twitter and all that stuff but we'll do a couple more of them swipe ups (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh man yeah so thank you guys so much i know you guys are all at work right now so uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) or are we our bosses might watch this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're not at work. They're at home. <laughs> but, um,
1: appreciate you for having us on, man. Yeah, no, really
0: it. absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime you guys want to come on, you know, you're always welcome. And, uh, we'll definitely have y'all on um, again soon. Cause it's, it's like I said, it's cool for us to get the other perspective and the other side of things. Um, going from like aim care to Critical Care is a very, uh, interesting way of kind of looking at different, um, therapies and whatnot so um yeah we'll definitely have you back on and then uh brian man when you're in charleston let's uh let's do a live a live one
1: dude that'd be awesome looking forward to it buddy
0: heck yeah all right y'all take it easy we'll see you guys next time
1: all right right, thanks. thanks thanks